Hello and welcome to this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. I am Chapin Hemingway, joined as always by Jeremy Fisk yeah, and Lee Carlo. This week we are going to be discussing director James Gray's sci-fi epic Ad Astra, which was, I'll remind you guys, besides Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and The Irishman, my most anticipated film of 2019. And then we're going to move on to a discussion of two actually rather interesting emails we received over the past like month or so that we're going to finally get to. And then I'm going to wrap it up with not a top five this year, uh, this week, but I'm going to talk with Jeremy and Lee about an existential crisis I had over the film Hustlers. This is Major Roy McBride. I'm attempting to reach Dr. Clifford McBride. This is Dr. McBride's son. Dad, I'd like to see you again. I recall how we used to watch black and white movies together and musicals were your favorite. I remember you tutoring me in math. You instilled in me a strong work ethic. You should know I've chosen a career that you would approve of. I've dedicated my life to the exploration of space. And I thank you for that. So guys, Ad Astra, an interesting film that we are going to get into right now. Um... I wanted to ask you, I was having a really tough time coming up with a question, and so I don't know if this is a good one or not, but hopefully it is. Um, without giving too much away right now, I feel like Ad Astra is a film that, unlike a lot of um, sci-fi movies, could possibly have been told in another interesting setting. Like, it could have been told, I, I guess I'm talking about sort of the emotional arc of the film, could have been told... Um, in a Western scenario, for example, or maybe in a sort of master and commander uh, crossing the ocean type of scenario, or, you know, uh, just a general adventure type. Or background. in the jungle of Vietnam, for example. Okay, there's another one. Um, so I'm wondering, I know you guys are a little bit, you're not quite as much of uh, sci-fi nerds as I am, and you guys know I love a space movie, but does that... How, how did that how did the element of the space setting in this film uh work for you guys did it did it help you kind of um go on this emotional journey that is i guess speaking very broadly the journey of a father and son i i love that question actually javen because like it it adds an element it it no matter how you try to dissect it, it adds an element. And once you start having to journey through space, it becomes more time consuming, more money, everything becomes more. Right. Um, when you, when, when that sort of journey has to take place. And like, I mean, like, ha have you ever been scorned so much by a family member that you, you uh, went to Jupiter to, to uh, deal with these issues? <laughs> like that's sort of what this movie is about and to to have to travel that amount of time um through through space and through like 
all of this money that they had to have spent for it, it definitely adds an element to it. So I actually do appreciate that question. Hmm. I think it's interesting that you brought up the story or this story within, you know, this setting because I did find that it was sort of just going through a checklist of plot points that you could have plugged into any setting. Like you mentioned, a, you know, a sea epic, a, a war movie, a Western, whatever it may be. And I found because of that, I was, you know, not to get too much into it, but I wasn't quite as compelled by that aspect. But the space setting did add another element that I found really interesting about this movie. And it doesn't really have as much to do with what Jeremy was saying, although I agree that, like, obviously you're adding, you know, the, the, the timelines, you're adding, obviously, higher stakes with the life and death scenarios that exist in space travel. So I do think that the setting was was really important to this movie uh, because otherwise I think it is just maybe a movie we've seen before. I mean, you do kind of just go through these scenes where like, okay, here's... I mean, I, I have to be honest, I was like really reminded a lot of this movie of Armageddon. <laughs> I mean, they stop at the International Space Station. You've got like some... <laughs> father daughter you got some like father son issues you got Liv Tyler I mean like I just <laughs> feel like I'd seen this movie to a certain extent before um but it was important to be for this movie to be what it was it was important that it took place in space okay yeah <clears throat> I think those are both interesting but different answers um uh okay fair enough um I think you bring up you, you reminded me of an interesting point, Lee, is that is that I felt um I felt like the this emotional arc between Brad Pitt and, and Tommy Lee Jones, his father, was was the core of this movie, and you never lose sight of that. But there's a lot of like complicated things surrounding it that have to do with kind of the, the idea of it being in space. Um that ultimately, I mean, I don't know, I'm not sure how a whole lot to do with how what the movie was about. Um, at the end of the day, but I thought that I found them interesting. Um, I mean, all right, I'm going to get to the meat of it. Do you think that relationship in that whole, basically the whole premise of, of Brad Pitt's character, just keeping moving forward. Do you think that was strong enough to warrant this whole movie? Like, did no. you, were you hinged enough on that? Because that's where I had my biggest problem with this movie. And I had a lot of problems with it, but that was where I had my biggest problem is because I just didn't think the stakes were high enough and I didn't care about their relationship. I honestly was just like, get over it, dude. Mm. Well, that was my point where I was saying, like, I wasn't, I wasn't overly compelled by this story. I didn't particularly care about this overly convoluted plot scenario that they uh, unveil at the beginning about this uh, antimatter streaming across the universe that's going to destroy everything. Like, come on, give me a break. But It seemed made then, up. Yeah, it was a little bit, like, too ridiculous. But I, I can forgive that, whatever. That's just kind of the catalyst to get you on your way. But I, I didn't really particularly care about this, about Brad Pitt's objective to get to his father because... I didn't really ever get any connection between him and his father. Like you never were given that. Right. Um, however, like there was a big piece of Brad Pitt's character that I did become really invested in. And I actually think 
that is more of what this movie is about. And that's kind of the psychology of him. And I think to a broader scope, the psychology of human beings and how relationships can impact that psychology. That's interesting uh, that you say that. Um, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jeremy. No, I just wanted to go back to one of Lee's earlier points. I wrote down, you just said checklist of plot points. And I actually went um, in doing my research for the podcast. I was reading some reviews and, uh, John Bleasdale of Cineview kind of put it the best when it came to that sort of thing. He says, it's a frequent occupational hazard of the critic to always find an apt comparison instead of evaluating a work on its own merits. But a film like Ad Astra feels at times so derivative that the comparisons are so unavoidable as asteroids in an asteroid belt. I'm trying to be there uh so there's some obvious generic comparisons the emotional overtones of interstellar the g with set pieces of gravity the psychological evaluations of blade runner mm. um though perhaps ad astra's greatest debt is to apocalypse now and that's why i'd mentioned that uh, mm-hmm. um so like what i'm trying to get at is I feel like this movie couldn't find its own identity and was it, its plot points were based a lot on its homages, which I have no problem with overall, but I feel like the story and the stakes have to be strong enough that it can support all of the weight of these other movies that are crashing into it. Hmm. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I mean, that's kind of why I wanted to ask you guys about the emotional core of the movie, because that is the through line. And, and you've got all these very, like, like you said, Jeremy, the weight of all these movies. And I think the way that translates into, in the movie is that you've got these, I don't know if set pieces is the right word, but you've got these kind of, you know, these, um, elements in this throughout this movie that feel familiar um, and, and elements that I admittedly, I, that I like and that I, that I respond to, but, you know, <clears throat> chasing a, a, a drive across the moon, um, you know, uh, being marooned in an, you know, next to a, a lonely planet and, you know, in the far reaches of the universe or of the solar system. Um, you know, these are things where we've been there before, but they're all technically in service of this emotional core that I I feel like is hard to wrestle with just because, um, you know, you've got this character who I remember reading like an early, um, description of the plot where they said that I think they described him as like an Asperger's astronaut or, you know, like a, an astronaut who suffers from, um, you know, sort of on the spectrum of, of, um, a little bit and and I don't know that they actually identify that but he isn't a very emotional character at least not one overtly emotional and so you have trouble understanding the importance of this character's uh, of the journey this character is going on to to the actual character um and there's a sort of you know kind of a clumsy voiceover that I would imagine they added maybe you know much later this this film had quite a long post-production um, and went through several test screenings and reshoots um, to maybe clarify those, emo- those emotions a little bit. But uh, you know, I, I, it's hard to sort of justify all that stuff when you don't necessarily buy into that, that the core of the film. Right. 
Yeah, a hundred percent. It's like you're 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 getting this sort of wave of Malicky voiceover, and then all with that all this sort of other sci-fi stuff that you've recognized from you know taking from other movies and all that should be really cool and it should work within the the structure of the movie that we're watching but like you say the the core of it isn't there so all you're kind of left you're kind of you're kind of just left with the shell which isn't enough in my opinion to sustain it because this movie does do a lot of things right especially visually and there's some really cool action scenes i think we'll, we'll get into mm-hmm. but that that emotional core between the father and the son it's hard to identify with and it's they put themselves in a tough place to do that because they put themselves in a place where all the interaction between the father and the son has to either come through video memory or voiceover and is that enough to really put the foundation of this movie on? And I think I think we all agree. I mean, you guys should say yes or no, but I think we all agree it wasn't enough, right? Well, I'm not forgiving that aspect of the movie, but at well, the same time, what do you mean time, forgiving? I'm like, I'm saying it wasn't enough. No, but so my my thing is like I I didn't find that the the connection between Brad Pitt and Tommy Lee Jones was was enough either. And the reason I say I'm not forgiving that is because but is because I also don't feel like that was the only thing there to latch onto specifically with Brad Pitt's character Roy McBride. Like I what I really I had a very different reaction to this movie than I expected and like part of that came from just my expectation of space movies and and Brad Pitt and like all these things like I I didn't find this movie awe inspiring I like just even visually I thought it was well made certainly but I didn't find it to be an awe awe inspiring space epic I didn't like I said I didn't wasn't overly compelled by the story but I did find Brad Pitt's character really interesting and what he was going through really interesting and what I do think this movie did really well is capture kind of that I guess struggle or conflict that he has kind of in his psychology about relationships and they try to make they try to get that across through the relationship with his father and I think that's sort of the more obvious par- piece that they partially use with the, and a little Liv bit Tyler. with Liv Tyler but this movie also does some really good things about you know kind of uh, even the voiceover which I thought was clunky too but like it's all about getting inside his head and like all this stuff about his resting heart rate and like all these things that he tries to avoid in his life to make sure that he can you know do his job well but it leaves him essentially alone all the time even all these characters throughout the movie that die around him seem like such unmemorable characters because you barely get to know them and they die very quickly but like I think that whole point is like very quickly, just as soon as they come, they're gone, and he's alone again. And these long space trips that he take, and they talk, and they say these like little, almost like comical lines of dialogue, where it says, "Your seventy-nine day journey begins. Your two billion mile journey begins." And like it's all about getting deeper and deeper into space with him, and getting deeper and deeper into his head, and like learning how alone he really is. And I think that's kind of what this movie's about, like. You know, I uh, this is going to seem like a strange comparison, but I 
I always remember at one point when I was in college, I like acknowledged to myself or to someone that I had a very uh, non-stressful life. Like I just, I had a stress-free life. There was uh, nothing going on that I had to deal with. So everything was fine. And then you're going to laugh, but then I met Lydia. (laughs) And not that we ever had a stressful relationship or anything, but as soon as you have someone else in your life, that adds things to be worried about and you get stressful. And like, that's something that this character, Roy McBride, tries to avoid his entire life because he has to keep that resting heart rate to do his job. And I think we see these scenes of him just traveling by himself for days and days and days. And I, I it just worked for me in terms of like getting into his subconscious and realizing that, you know, whether it's a relationship with his father or a relationship with Liv Tyler, like what he has isn't enough. And I, I think that that was enough for this movie. Oh, I just don't so think... I don't you think do. it was I just don't think it was necessarily their primary objective. I think those were like subtext layers that just happened to work for me. Oh, I think like even that example is sort of a, a microcosm of why I didn't like this movie. It's like the the resting heart rate thing of him like like he, because he's he has to keep calm at all times and even when he's falling, but it just doesn't make sense. Like it's not like He's not a he's not an android, he, it, you know, like he like if he were to run a mile and his <clears throat> resting heart rate was still at 60 beats per minute, that's that there's something wrong with him. Like, I just feel like there was a lot of like trying to stuff things into his character into into this movie that just didn't work in the sort of broad sense. Well, I, I think I'm more with Lee on this. Um, I, I, I guess what's sort of troubling or what's sort of frustrating about this movie is that it does do those things really well. Um, I mean, I, I'm with you. I'm with you, Jeremy, too. I mean, like, it, 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 there's just some elements here that are executed so well, and it's something you see often with with like lauded and and, and great directors where. You know, even if the movie doesn't turn out to be super great, like they they have these like powerful moments and they make you yearn for what the movie could be. Um, mm. And I, I felt that here. Like I think there are some key moments that really, really work. Like I kind of love everything that happens um, when Brad Pitt arrives at Neptune, and 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 I like the stuff with Tommy Lee Jones. I mean, it's a little bit. Um, it happens kind of quickly. I'm not, you know, I, I'm not crazy about that. But um, there's just. What do you think about Tommy Lee Jones's sort of turn too? Well, I don't know that's a turn because I mean, I mean, you mean what happened? How his character turns? Yeah. In the sense that he kills his crew, is that the idea? No, I just mean like how quickly he's just. And we're getting into spoiler territory, but just how quickly he sort of. Um, at first, he's like, "I'm never leaving. I had the mission." And he's like, "No, we should go." And he's like, "Yeah." All right, let's go. Well, I I got the sense that he just he came to the his his own the the understanding of the of the objective of his mission, which was that there was no extraterrestrial life. But that's because Brad Pitt said that in one line, and he's like, "Oh yeah, yeah I didn't even think about." But that. I guess it's like because like, he, you know, suddenly there's his son has arrived in this place that he's been for. You know, decades. I don't know. 
I'm with you. I mean, there's a lot of elements in this film that, that work that way that you, uh, like you don't quite understand why he's suddenly removed from the mission. Um, right. Like he, 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 he goes off script a little bit in the laser messaging out to Neptune. He's sent to, um, to Mars to, uh, record a message that is sent to this, to the, um, the mission out in, in, in Neptune. And, he goes off the script and says, dad, I want to talk to you or whatever. And that simple line seems to convince, I guess it's the military or whatever, whoever is dictating this space world that he, he, he's no longer emotionally flat enough to maintain this mission. Right. Um, and so, but then he, you know, gets aboard. He kind of is a stowaway on a <laughs> that that particular sequence was a little a little jarring to me. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Look, I this is just kind of what I was saying. Like the piece, the pieces with Tommy Lee Jones, I just felt like were them trying to tell this story about father and son, like having this connection and. But what that what is what is there like, what is their connection? Well, that's what we I don't think we know really. I think he I think Brad Pitt is uh like I think he looks up to what his father has done and looks at him as a hero and sort of wants to follow in his footsteps in a way. And you know, then we get this like half-ass scene where he learns the truth about what his father did and you know, maybe, you know, and then just like Tommy Lee Jones says, oh, okay, I guess there isn't any extraterrestrial life. I'll leave with you. Brad Pitt says, oh, okay, I guess my father's not a hero. I'll go and fulfill this mission of wiping him out, wiping out the, that, um, that whole ship and that program. But so I, I just felt like I, at least the way I categorize it is the, the Brad Pitt traveling through space to reconnect with his father is just, is, is the story that just didn't work for me. And like trying to stop this, this global killing antimatter that's you know being released into the into the uh, solar system. Yeah, I, I just didn't buy that. I didn't like it. But I will tell you, like when I when and again, getting into slight spoiler territory here, when Brad Pitt lands on Earth, I was like, I took I didn't even realize it until then. I took this huge sigh of relief, not that he was alive, but that. I was back on earth with him. I didn't realize how deep into space I had gone with him. And like, it felt claustrophobic and meditative. And like, I just felt like all of that stuff, the subtext of his, his subconscious, like the, the psychology of his character and like how it all related to the relationships he had. And then traveling through space. I thought that all worked really, really well in this movie. So for me, like story, you know, be gone like I don't care like I just didn't care it was fine without it I mean what I have is like in my notes is like the story and the stakes uh were not there for this movie but the visuals and the acting were um but I feel like that doesn't look like so so basically like the whole thing you're just saying Lee about just like despite the fact that the relationship didn't work. And despite the fact you didn't really care about that story, you you sort of just sort of went with Brad Pitt in a psychological sense. Like I'm, I'm about in between on that. Well, 
And that's what's a little bit interesting is that I don't know that while I was watching this movie, I was going with it. This was sort of a reaction I had, like I said, towards the end of this movie when he landed back on Earth. Like I realized how kind of like edge of my seat gripping my fists I had been like I didn't realize kind of how on edge and this movie had made me feel. And I think that's because I was following the story. I'm paying attention to the story throughout and maybe critiquing it as as I as it should have been critiqued and I wasn't totally aware of what this movie was kind of doing to me you know subconsciously which I think is great like I think when a movie can do that and then after the fact you're thinking about those aspects I think that's great I think that's great filmmaking I'm sort of remind I'm sort of reminded of um some of the issues we had with <clears throat> um uh um, what's that movie with Natalie Portman? I'm sorry. Annihilation. Um, yep. and a little bit with, uh, we were, you were never really here where the story is quite interesting. The, the, the scenario is quite interesting. And you've also got, you know, these characters that we like and, 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 and the elements are there, but the execution, the sort of the minute to minute execution, just something doesn't work about it. It's sort of the opposite for this movie, right? Like we're not really on board for this thing. It's like, it's a father and son story, but it's set against this like apocalyptic crisis, which isn't really well explained. Like we go on, on this mission and like, I guess the state of the, the state of the world is at, at, at risk here. Um, but uh e- I agree with you, Lee. Like in, in the minute on a minute by minute basis, I was like, I, I'm I'm digging this. I'm liking the way he's doing, you know, these scenes. I, I love the stuff out in, in Neptune, and just the the atmosphere of the film feels very nice. And I think, I mean, it feels uh, like there's there are is a lot of tension, and um, um, I and and I and I think I I think those elements worked enough that I would ultimately say that I like this film. Uh, you know, quite a bit, but just it was sort of in service of something that didn't really matter to me. And that's where the confusion happens. It's like, you know, like what, what are we supposed to, where are we supposed to go? What are we supposed to care about here? You know? Right. right. Well, I feel like, I feel like if you're going to do a movie like that, where, and I agree with you guys, like there was a sort of, um, romanticism isn't the right word, but there was sort of something that sort like kept you, intrigued by this movie um but it but the problem was the movie itself kept veering you back to this relationship and i feel like if you if it was more of like a tree of life which i think it definitely took a lot of uh liberties from like if it was something like that i i feel like it would be a little bit or a 2001 space odyssey i think it would have worked a little bit better because it's not about that relationship. You're not you it doesn't keep pointing you in that direction of that relationship that doesn't seem to work. It's more about his psychology. Yeah, to me this movie, I guess the best way I can describe it was like it was the sum of some of its parts. <laughs> so, like <laughs> like as a whole, like you're still regardless of whether or not I could ignore it, like you're like this movie is still ultimately about Brad Pitt and Tommy Lee Jones's relationship. So to say that this movie is fully, you know, like the sum of like equal to the sum of its parts isn't necessarily correct because some of those parts didn't work. And in the end, as a result, it didn't work 100%. But some of those other parts 
while I didn't notice them as much on a minute to minute basis, by the end, I realized like how effective they were. So it put a lot of really good things together. And like, you know, I also think about like the scene when he's traveling to Neptune, like it's sort of disorienting and like he kind of bounces around like sort of in real time and then you're flashing back or you're going to some video footage and he's getting deeper and deeper in space and it's like oddly like nauseating and a little bit you know it's it's kind of a weird scene to watch and like he's spinning around in that little area all by himself and it's you kind of feel him during an 80 day trip essentially all by himself and like what that can do to your do to you and like that could essentially be a short film in and of itself like what you know solitary confinement can do to somebody do you think they went too quickly with that i i do no i i think it was all i think i was like again while i was watching it i was like what why i actually was thinking why is this take lasting so long why do we keep watching him why are we watching this in like not chronological order why is this going like this and then in the in the end in the aftermath i realized that it was all about getting us deeper and deeper into space without realizing that we are doing that and feeling that. And I think that that was essential to so much of this movie, but not the, not like we keep saying, not the through line of the father and son relationship. I got a question for you guys. What did you guys think of the voiceover and, and the psychological evaluation? The fact <clears throat> this movie did both to sort of, give exposition to this film well that was my point before that like i think there's a lot of little things in here including the voiceover which i didn't love but the psychological evaluations were another one just like talking about his resting heart rate that's all about showing how he has just built his mind to be able to be stress-free or whatever whatever you want to say He's avoided everything in life to make sure that he can pass these psychological tests and do the job that he's setting out to do. And, you know, we realize that that's been a detriment to his life and all that shit. But, who, you know, I think that stuff is in there for a purpose, and I think it's effective. But does it need both of them? Like, I feel like... Maybe me, not. I, I, I feel like it's overboard, like, especially the psychological evaluations because they became too on the nose. I mean, I remember there was one where he was literally like, I was 16 and my dad left me and I don't I I don't like my father because he left us. And it's like, <laughs> I know, dude, I don't even need to I don't need to hear you say that. I got that from everything else that I've already seen from this movie. I don't I don't need that. And I feel like it, I think it's a good that, It's a good it example just, of something that of what like what I'm trying to say about the film is that like it's a it's a good idea, right? Like yeah, it looks good on paper. It looks good on paper. Yeah. You it's a good way like let's say I I did not care for the voiceover, take it out. I don't think you needed it. Uh but let's say you didn't have the voiceover and you needed a device to get some get some kind of inside his head because this is a guy who is not the point of his character is he is not a motive. He's not someone who who feels a lot of emotion about things. Um <clears throat> and so you've got these sort of what seems to be like AI uh, generated psychological tests, which I think in and of itself is an interesting thing because he's doing it remotely, right? Like he's not sending, he doesn't seem to have contact with um, home base for lack of a better word uh, while he's on the way to, to Neptune. And so he's taking these tests, you know, at the, at the requests and, and being evaluated by an artificial intelligence, which I think is an interesting idea. Um, 
but it, it isn't executed very well just because, you know, like they, they start and they're interesting and they're recording his heartbeat, but then he fails at one point, which you're not really sure why. Um, and, and, and it does become just an advice, a, a, a two, a two con, a, it becomes too convenient, right? At some point where he's saying like what you're saying, Jeremy, like, um, you know, he's telling about his, his childhood and, um, you know, you, you brought up, I think, was it you, Jeremy, when you, in your summer, you said you mentioned Blade Runner 2049, where they have to do yeah. this kind of thing. Right. And so it's kind of the same thing. And, um, that, you but know, that's that, a better way to do that than a voiceover. Like, even if it didn't work all the yeah, time, pick, like, I, I, I agree. I, I, I agree. Pick one. Yeah, that's fine. I, again, I didn't have a huge issue with either, especially not the psychological evaluations, but you know, I kind of agree with you, Chapin. Get rid of the voiceover. They could have figured out a way to do it, which is these evaluations. Like, that's a smart way of getting exposition across, you know, in a sort of a voiceover fashion. Mm-hmm. Even if it didn't work all the time. Yeah. Can we do my nit- nitpick corner? Yeah. Jeremy's, Jeremy's nitpick, nitpick corner. corner. <laughs> this is brought to you by... <laughs> <laughs> All right, so there's a few things. Um, so that lady on Mars that also just happened to have all the information for Brad Pitt about his father on a tablet, and then also her parents happened to be killed by Brad Pitt's father. What the? Yeah, I told you that's like some that throwaway scene where he that that's so Chapin, uh, or maybe it was you, Jeremy, described when Brad Pitt meets his father and is like you know, hey, there's not any aliens, and his father's like, oh, okay, I guess I will leave. Like, that quick turnaround. The same thing happened when Brad Pitt had that conversation right. with her. Like, she's well, like, I your, Bra- whole... your father isn't a hero. And he's like, oh, okay. I, I thought gonna... her whole existence was weird or super convenient. Um, the point where uh, they were on the the rover's on the moon and like the whole thing was like, yeah, well, the dark side of the moon, it's really dangerous, but don't worry. We're going to get you there. We're going to protect you. And then all of yeah, a sudden people weird. come, people come with guns and they're like, oh, we're fucked. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, you leaned over to me just... in the movie theater. You're like, yeah. I thought they were ready I... for this. Yeah. Like they told them it was going to be like, they, they said they were going to protect them. What the fuck? <laughs> and then how did it take Tommy Lee Jones? Like, 45 years to get to what it was it Jupiter and then Neptune 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 and took Brad Pitt about no but he was uh, oh, no, a but, year no, he was just they were there, there for that long yeah others oh, hanging out yeah they were yeah. studying they were trying to they were beyond the influence of the sun and so they were able to study um worlds beyond our solar system looking for extraterrestrial life all right, they should have gone farther then if they were that long. Yeah. <laughs> Could have just kept going. Uh, I didn't really have a lot of stuff to nitpick in this movie, to be honest with you. Like, what did you guys think of Brad Pitt? I thought this was a, uh, he was fine. I liked him I a lot. Him. I thought he was great. Really? Yeah. Why? Yeah. Like he was fine. It's my, I mean, he was my favorite part of this movie. Uh, that that and um, the visuals. What What about Brad Pitt? What did he do in this movie that was imp- like overly impressive? I, I mean, I went into this movie thinking like Brad Pitt's gonna look so ridiculous as an astronaut, but he he I don't know he wore it on his sleeve like everything I think he was that good. you I mean I don't everything I just, that like, you were saying Lee about like how the the sort of 
psychological torment that you felt. That was all Brad Pitt more oh, than see, anything I credit else. the filmmaking more than Pitt for that. Not that he didn't contribute. I think he was, I, so I think good. He was good. I but this was I know we we argue about Pitt's uh, abilities, but this is far from his best work, in my opinion. Oh, I really liked it, and I thought uh, this was the best use of Liv Tyler I've ever seen. Just <laughs> not giving her lines. <laughs> Just like a oh, out of focus on. in the Lord, background. Lord of the Rings. No, I don't know to talk okay. when she speaks Elvish. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. Again, not giving a real English. Frodo. <laughs> okay. Anything else you guys want to say about this? No, sir. Ultimately, uh, I gotta say, like, I wasn't disappointed. I mean, it was. It's not my, gonna be my favorite movie of the year, but that's not what we were going for. No, I wasn't disappointed that. either. And like I said, I had a, I, I had a very different reaction than what I expected. I actively um, okay. disliked it. All right. Oh, but although, can we talk about? Did you guys like that that uh, shootout on the moon? I thought that was really cool. I thought it was it was very interesting. Yeah, I mean it, the no gravity like. Evidently, there was some <laughs> reading the Wikipedia page, and it was like. <laughs> They said uh, they had to do reshoots, but Brad Pitt was unavailable, so they did it without him. I'm like, wh- wh- what seeds could they do without Brad Pitt? He's in every mo- <laughs> scene of the movie. Well, but I, just, that feels like they added on. that, like, like, to give it a little action or something, you know? Not sure, though. Okay, you guys ready to move on? Yeah, yes. let's do it. Okay, so we got a couple of questions in the meantime. Sorry we've been slow to put out new episodes. We're all pretty busy. And so these are thinking kind of, about them kind of collected and so yeah now we've got some good questions so we're, we're going <clears> to <throat> cover two of these at the moment <clears throat> um the first one i'm going to is the more topical one about our three kings um episode and uh here it goes in the episode you all seem to lament the lack of risk taking by directors in larger budget movies overall i tend to agree although there was one film recently that i thought had a relatively big budget 60 million in which the director took a number of risks for better or worse that film is Vice by Adam McKay. In it, he pretends to end it like halfway or two-thirds of the way through, has characters break into Shakespeare with no warning, and end the film with the main characters turning to the camera, breaking the fourth wall, and talking directly to the audience. From your episode on the film, it seems I enjoyed it more than you all, certainly more than Lee. I understand disliking the choices of a director makes when he takes risks, so I guess my question is, are there particular risks or types of things that you like to see from the directors, breaking the rules, or just not being as formulaic? And are there certain risks that are hard no's for you, or does it all come down to what, to how well the director pulls everything off? Um, I think this is a really good question. I mean, I think this is what I enjoyed most about about Vice, um, mm-hmm. even if it wasn't always effective. I mean, I think the first thing, I mean, I'll just start answering this to begin with, but I think the first thing is you, you always have to consider is that it's not worth taking risks if it doesn't work for the film, right? Like, I don't think we're ever advocating for, for something like that. Um, you have to do what's best for the film, but we've just gotten to a point now uh, with, with where mainstream movies, and I think that's what we're talking about. I think there's plenty of risk taking in smaller budget films or even in, you know, um, TV nowadays and also um, films made, you know, specifically for streaming. But it's it's that sort of big budget, you know, with movie stars film that we like to see where um, directors are um you know taking some risks and of course those need to to work for the film but at the same time like we're just in a in in an in an era that people don't do that anymore movies like that movies like three kings don't really get made that often yeah i think that's the first piece is that it's not so much that you know there's not directors taking risks in bigger budget movies 
and when I say bigger budget, I mean like the 60 to $100 million movie. Those 60 to $100 million movies just aren't made, period. So there's no <laughs> no directors to take the risk anyway. But uh, it's interesting that he brought up Vice because I, you know, the things that I liked about that movie were some of those less traditional touches that, you know, I thought that the ending the movie two thirds of the way through was creative. I thought the scene with Alfred Molina at the dinner table was creative. But they had nothing to do with the movie. Like, as a whole, it didn't work. And that's what you mentioned, Chapin. That needs to be the biggest piece. Like, not only does the director need to pull them off, but they need to work in the whole context of the movie. And in Vice, they were they're almost like little skits. I mean, not necessarily the ending the movie, but the Shakespearean piece, the dinner table with Alfred Molina, almost like little skits that didn't really play into the whole movie. I just think, you know... W- I think the three of us especially are just sort of desperate for innovation and creativity and, or at the very least, just something unformulaic. But so Lee, before you move on to if that, if it's there, like, yeah, I guess a follow up for, for you, I would have is like in a film like vice, which again, you know, it was not on any, it was not on my top 10 or, uh, uh, or in our top, uh, our fixies discussion for me, but I, I did like it. Um, could you consider in a film like that that the risk taking that his stylistic choice that his con- unconventional way of telling that film is in fact the movie versus like from what you you just described I feel like you're saying you know telling the story of George Bush and Dick Cheney the, the sort of that the, the, that White House's time and um, you know and 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 control over the country was not maybe not done but 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 maybe maybe his vision for that film maybe that is the that is the heart of the film maybe that is what's yeah. most important versus but like do you think do you think then there do you think there was enough of that stuff then throughout the entire movie no. for that to be the case no. so like i mean you know we've come up in the emailer listed a couple and i think you know right off the top of my head i can think of four the ending the movie early the shakespearean bit the dinner table with Alfred Molina and breaking the fourth wall at the end. I'm sure there was some more, but if you're going to define your movie that way, a two and a half hour movie or whatever the hell it was, I mean, it's got to be a lot more than that. It's got to be like three Kings that is defined by these stylistic choices that David O. Russell makes throughout. I, and I throw the consistently Jesse, makes. Jesse Plemons sort of subplot that's oh, woven yeah, in there in a little bit. I forgot about that. I mean, I think there's two sides to this coin. I mean, I agree with you, Chapin, that if it doesn't serve the movie, it doesn't really work for the movie. But I always want to encourage it. So, like, I'm kind of speaking out of both sides of my mouth there. But, like, when we're going to sit here and ultimately you have a finished product and we're going to be the ones that are saying we're going to talk to each other and say whether we like it or we don't like it, then we're going to... We're going to... Uh, critique those decisions, but mm-hmm. it's not that I don't want that director to make those decisions. Yeah. Does that make any no, sense? No, that makes yeah. that makes total sense. The film that I it's, thought about doing this really well that came out that same year that did make my list is the favorite. You know, I mean, it's not yeah. a big budget film like Vices, and like that. I think we should kind of narrow our discussion down to films like uh, you know in that range of things. But that's a film that I think is sort of you know t- it's you can tolerate how weird it is. I mean, it is the Greek freak, but he is, you know, toning things down compared to the other two films that we discussed in, in his repertoire his, his I guess his three English language films. Um, and I think that that weirdness like really made that film 
you know, elevated that film for me. It was just, you know, I think Lee, you liked it least of all out of three of us, but I think you were going and kind of expecting a traditional costume drama. And I hope it wasn't that way for you because it wasn't that way for me. And the sort of unique way you tell that story, but in a way that still works for the story, we talked about how, you know, it kind of fits into that, this sort of like idea of these, you know, idiots making decisions that cost tens of thousands of lives, you know, in this very sort of strange semi love triangle. I mean, it's funny. I mean, in an absurd kind of way. And that, that, that warrants an appropriate style to go with it. But to Lee's point, it also was consistent throughout in, yes. in, in its, you know, delivery of that. It's funny you mentioned Annihilation in our discussion on Ad Astra Chapin because that's the movie I wrote down about regarding Jeremy's point about like let's just have these directors try something let's right, let, right. let's sure, have sure, something sure. unique there who I mean if it doesn't work it doesn't work but we need directors trying to do this stuff and you know I don't know if I put Vice in that category like I I don't I mean yes obviously Adam McKay was trying some things with the what he did with Vice but like I just don't put that in the category of you know him making a unique movie like he just had some unique bits in what I found to be a pretty formulaic movie. And that's different. And I think that's what is it's pro- and I, maybe it's not his fault. Maybe it's just really hard in a $60 million movie to do what David O. Russell did in three Kings nowadays, or maybe it's impossible. So, you know, he got away with as much as maybe he could get away with. Uh, and with those things that he threw in there. Well, I, I brought up um, Oliver Stone on that podcast, you know, comparing him a yep. little bit to what, um, Adam McKay was doing and, you know, he did that film Nixon, which I think is really underrated in a film I like a lot, but it was, you know, quite expensive for its time and had a lot of weird, you know, he did a lot of weird stuff in telling these kind of political, what you would think of as kind of traditional stories that we're all very familiar with. And, um, you know, like, I, it's just, it's, it's hard to get those, those movies made. And, um, you know, I, I, even someone like Oliver Stone, I feel has been kind of like his legs have been chopped off a little bit, or maybe it's just like, I don't know. He does, I don't think he makes interesting movies really anymore. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, I also think that like, I, I've been sort of revisiting some Spielberg movies lately. Like, I think he does a, a nice job of, of kind of bringing a little bit of like, you know, we minority report is such a fascinating film and and it is and there's a lot there's a little bit of similarity between that and three kings you know similar time period but also just in the way that they just kind of tear that literally the the film apart in that movie and make it look kind of ugly and you know not not beautiful in the way that you think of of movies really um but yeah you don't you don't really see it as much anymore I think we kind of came to the conclusion on Three Kings podcast that it's not the fault of the directors. I mean, I was I was glad to get this email because we struggled to find a movie that, you know, fit this budget range that did something unique. And I think Vices makes for a good, you know, conversation about it, but they just don't exist. Like like you said, like there's just that that budget of movie is very hard to make. I was talking to somebody uh, last night about kind of that budget range of movies and why they don't exist. You're talking to somebody talking, else about I was, I, yeah, it was, I was actually, I mean, I was obviously pretty drunk, but um, I, uh, 
well, Michael Mann got brought up and like how those and that led to like why those movies aren't being made anymore. And, you know, I brought up Tarantino getting a good amount of money to make Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but he had Leo. And, you know, that that movie is so rare that you need all the right things in place to be able to get the kind of money to make it. Um, yeah, but there's like probably a handful of directors that could do that too. He, I don't right, think but, Tarantino needed Leo. He just could get Leo. I don't know that he would have been given that much money without Leo the, and yeah, Brad Pitt. Yeah, you're right, Leo. There, there was some because he he left, you know, the Weinstein Company right around the time he was trying to get this movie. Why made. would he do that? It was, it was money making. I can't, I can't imagine any reason. <laughs> and he was he he like like I think Lee alluded to. He had some like pretty insane demands. And, uh, yeah, um, th- it was, there was some question as to whether Sony was going to make this movie, which, I, you know, I don't blame him. It, it's not doing super well. <laughs> Let, let's move on to the next question. Or do you guys just want to, do you want to hear my existential crisis or do this second question? Because well, I want to, well, I'm, I don't remember what do email both. this was. So it's Tyson's let's, email. Yeah, let's do both. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. Um, had a random thought, something I felt might engender an interesting discussion. Do you feel like your perspectives as former and current filmmakers has affected your ability to enjoy movies? I'm assuming you all say yet say it hasn't. If so, in what ways has it helped you appreciate them more? Be specific. If you have disagreements, lean into them. Okay. Um, I I've mean, always I, said it has. <laughs> I, yeah, I would say it absolutely ruined movies for I, me. Yeah, it absolutely 100%. has ruined movies for me in in a big way. <laughs> I mean, I, mean, I, I, think a, it, I, I don't want to admit this out of out of podcast with a waning listenership, but like, I don't think it makes me a better film reviewer either. I think it makes me a far worse film reviewer. Uh, yeah, I, I can I just mean, hear the also, people signing off and closing their podcast app as, as we say that. It also depends for me, like what I'm doing at the time. Like, I remember when we were editing through the woods. Any like editing uh, thing uh, you could yeah. you could see every edit and then like now that i work in locations get anxiety watching movies <laughs> about locations and that's just like a a microcosm of it uh, of what it, it really is like from you know going through film school to where we are now like all those different layers have definitely added up and um yeah, I mean, for me, it's not that specific anymore. I mean, I remember the exact same thing, like seeing every cut in every movie when we were, because that's all we would be thinking about yeah. when we we're editing these movies. And and but you know, obviously, I've been away from production for a long time now. And but I just, and it's a it's a good thing that I watch movies with kind of you know an astute eye, and I look for things that the average movie viewer doesn't. Um, I think that is what enables us to talk about movies like this. But it makes it really hard to just enjoy them and you know i have to i have to be watching a movie that i've seen a lot of times to really be able to do that and what's funny is that like we um we've been talking a little bit about maybe doing a scorsese retrospective um in anticipation of the irishman so i was watching raging bull i was watching raging bull the other night and i've seen that movie many times and I found myself, just like I said, wa- while I was watching a movie that I've seen many times, like just enjoying it and like laughing at like some of the things that are going on. And and then I was like, shit, I got to fucking watch this. I, <laughs> I can't. And I have to stop enjoying this movie and start paying attention. Well, and I'm like, not necessarily God. true. But you get what I'm saying. Like, I have to find the things about it that I'm going to talk about. And I think there's a different way that you watch the movie when with that in mind. 
uh, because whether it's just like points that we want to discuss on the podcast or whether it's just finding like how A connects to B in the subtext of the movie. And I think those are the important things when cr- critiquing them that I pay attention to now that gets in the way of just kind of sitting back and enjoying it. Yeah, it's uh, I think that there's a it's a unique sort of perspective because you know, you show a scene if if like I, I saw Ad Astra with Katie, who by the way just you know didn't like it, same as you, Jeremy. But if you if she leaned in and asked like, oh, how did they do that? I could pr- I could probably tell you. I could probably tell you. I could probably break down why maybe. I people, like how you're like if she were to lean in yeah, and ask she's me not, a question. Not at all. Not, never happened. Never happened. Never <laughs> asked me anything. Doesn't want to hear me talk about this. Barely listens to the podcast. <laughs> um, no, but uh, you know, I could I could tell you that, and I can even tell you like why you might even feel a certain way. I think I'm I'd be pretty pretty good at that. But like like you're saying, Jeremy or Lee, like. Are we may not? I don't. I think what we're not good at is 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 taking a film on its on its whole and being like, this is you know why do people <laughs> listen to the podcast? So this is going to get into my existential crisis a little bit. So I'm glad we went with this question first. But like you know what what do we deliver? And I think you know we do have a unique perspective as people who have you know made movies and you know work in some fashion or another in in films currently and you know have a background and education in that. But at the same time, like. I don't know that that makes us better at, 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 at evaluating a film overall. You know, like we technically review these movies here, but we're, we also talk about them in detail and talk about the things we're interested in and et cetera. But are we, are we more apt to make an overall, um, I think so, this, you know, kind of evaluation of it. And I would, I would wager. No, do you want my mom on, the, do you want my mom on this podcast no, and no, tell her I don't. how she feels about I, certain films? I definitely do don't. She- and I think it's, it's, probably more interesting to listen to us but are are our opinions um more in line with everybody you know maybe your mom's opinion is is more in line with the, the people who listen to this podcast and maybe if your mom said came on real quickly and say oh i loved ad astra i think everybody should see it that would be no, a she'd better be like, ad astra <laughs> well i mean who was ad astra i didn't see any i kept looking for the ad astra and there was think, none of them <laughs> i think it's okay when we watch movies like ad astra and when we watch The Irishman, but, you know, Chapin, this was your listed as your Irishman, number one. Irishman, De Niro's in, Italian. I didn't understand. <laughs> this was listed as your most anticipated movie. My On the most recent list we did for that, mine was Parasite. So when we get around to doing that, no, the, our, our review is not going to matter to a whole lot of people. Why? Why are people not going to be interested in our review of Parasite? Yeah, I don't know anything the, about what was that the, one. The Bong Joon-ho the, the, film. The depressing the looking Korean film. minutes long from South Korea. Yeah. <laughs> Joon-ho Bong. Um, <laughs> Sound like an insult. Can I can I go b- backwards a little bit for a second? Yes. Just in terms of these questions. <clears throat> I was just looking at this. Um, do you guys think uh, there was much risk taking in Ad Astra? By James Gray, I, I do, I do, yeah, I do. This was an eighty-seven million dollar movie, so a hundred percent there was risk. We have one of those movies that we've been looking for, I guess. Here, yeah, and um, I and I admire it for that, and I think doing poorly. I mean, it's it's not doing <laughs> it's okay, that badly. I, 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 I honestly like, and I think that this is to me what I like the most about Brad Pitt. I mean, he's not an actor I obviously value um, very much, but he does 
use his power to make interesting movies, you know? And I think that he's sort of been famous for that. You know, he shied away from this pretty boy image that he, that has sort of, you know, solidified and been the foundation of his fame. And now, and now he, yeah. And now he uses it, it, you know, his popularity to make, to get interesting films made. And I I think that's great. Well, here's, here's a question for you, Chapin. Like you, you say you're not a big fan of Brad Pitt and, everything but would you consider this year two of his performances this year that we've reviewed on this podcast two of his best yeah yeah i agree which is great i mean i think this is what i feel like you what we had to wake you up about tom cruise about you know that like tom cruise is this movie star who was like who loves movies and wanted to work with the best directors and got these like amazing films made and, and was wake me up. I've always said that. No, but now the, but you, what you haven't been able to realize is that he's never going to do that again, that he's in this position now where he's only going to make mission impossible type movies for the rest of his career and that he's no longer doing that. And that I think what we love about him is gone and that's sad. Yeah, no, I agree. That's we had this. This was a debate. You, you, we were talking about like, will he ever make a movie? Like, I forget what the movie was, but and me and no, no, I thought you said he was thinking because it was. We were talking about how he was supposed to get the or he was in consideration for the Brad Pitt role in Once Upon a Time in right, Hollywood. Right, and Once Upon a Time. So this does lead into my existential crisis. Okay, I went to go see um, Hustlers. We discussed doing it as a podcast because it's been i mean what does it have something crazy on metacritic right like yeah it's doing well yeah um um it's got a, it's gotten great reviews uh, i liked her her other movie actually quite a bit which one was um, that seeking a friend for the end of the world right 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 um it's got a 78 79 on on metacritic uh j-lo is getting um oscar buzz i, I assume you guys didn't see it right no i did not no. okay well and I came out of it and I said, well, we should probably not do the podcast on it. I don't think there's a lot to talk about. Ultimately, I think I, I liked the movie. It was a fine experience. Um, but I saw it with three people who, two of which are, you know, semi-fans of this podcast. And, you know, they... We've got semi-fans now? Well, yeah. They're like, you know, some, oh, I should say occasional listeners. And they, all three people I saw with the, saw the film with just like loved it. I came out and they were beaming and they just had so much fun watching it. And I came out and I was like... What the fuck are you guys talking about? I mean, I didn't say that. I felt bad, and I was like, "Yeah, I liked yeah. it, but it's not not semi fans anymore." Yeah, I know, right? But like, and, but this is the thing: is I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying they were wrong. I don't think that they were wrong. I, I to me, it was a problem with myself, and like, I'm like, what am I doomed to like see these movies every all every year and not be able to appreciate what they are as just sort of you know, just nice little, you know, follies of films. I mean, I have to be honest with you. I don't understand the Oscar talk about this movie. I don't, it, it, to me, it was a little bit of a mess of a movie and I think it has some nice elements, but I don't think it's a fantastic film at all. And I don't know why it's in this conversation, but you know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe feel like maybe I'm, I'm missing something. Maybe I'm not, Maybe I'm too this cynical. Maybe happens all the time. People come out of the fucking Marvel movies beaming. <laughs> I mean, uh, don't don't judge yourself against the people you saw the movie with, the average audience members you saw the movie with. What what I find more frustrating is uh, whatever reason this is coming to mind, the the Winter's Bones of the world that that 
critics across the board say is the best movie in years, and it's middling at best. Like, but that doesn't happen that often. Well, no, but that I find more frustrating and and head scratching yeah. than coming out of a movie and not thinking it's that great. But audiences well, add, love it. Add Astra as an example, at least for me, because this is getting great reviews. Sure. Whereas I'm like, what? Why? Has an 80, one point higher than Hustlers. But I can see the I can see why the reviews are there for Ad Astra. I mean, but that's again, that's my point though. Like you come out of these movies and you just react totally differently than the populace or the critics or yeah. whatever it is, and it it does leave you sort of scratching your head and saying, Why am I alone on this? Yeah, and it's it's again, I go to this podcast for affirmation. It's not that I it's not that I dislike the film. It's just that I sometimes have this feeling like there are these cultural moments, these 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 occasions, these pieces of of pop culture that get this get all this attention, and people love them. And I, and I don't and and I think the Chapin. what. Chapin. Green Book won Best Picture last year, but every nobody, okay. I mean, no nobody I know who saw Green Book liked it. I mean, it, there was so many people liked it. Yeah, there's a lot of people that liked that. Who liked it? The the fat ass that was sitting next to me in the theater. My parents loved it. Like I just like, and they were sitting but, next to him. Okay, in the theater. but <laughs> <laughs> twist same same people. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I get what you're saying. Like, I I agree, but this this is just coming to you now. I guess it just like I, I feel like this is my like, life. It just seems that it just seems like I think it's a genuinely it's a genuine appreciation for this film that I thought was fine. And well, here's a it's here's it's not how, that it's not that and 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 other respected critics have felt similarly and have noticed things in it. And I think to me, it's, it's a low, what I always think about is it's just, it's a low bar. It's like, we aren't getting movies that often anymore that are great. It's actually a horizontal bar. Why? Because there's no other way to strip. Yeah. Vertical. It's vertical. Not horizontal. Fuck. Nice try, Jeremy. Yeah. That would have been good. But do you ever have do you ever have a movie that it's like that you appreciate more than other people? Yeah, of course. Like put it put it yeah. on that. Of course. Well that maybe that's sort of the same thing. Like the sunshine to the world. Okay. Okay. Sure. Yeah, I guess. I guess. I don't know. I just it it just got to me where I was like, I just felt that, you know, <laughs> just given our last discussion, like, should I be recommending movies to people? Because I don't seem to be on the same wavelength as most people. <laughs> yeah. Look, I, I'm i going to go back to this conversation I was having with this person last night about movies. And, I, and I, I pointed out that, like, I very rarely have these conversations because anytime I talk to, about movies with people, like, the stuff I bring up are such conversation killers because... Nobody, like, I can't talk about Marvel with you. I'm sorry. I, I don't, I, I wanted Thor to win. He didn't. So I'm, I'm not interested, or not Thor, uh, Thanos. Thanos to win. 
So, and he didn't. So, uh, I'm out on those movies and that's all that people know. And like, so to have an intelligent conversation with movies about people is hard to do, which, you know, I think is part of the reason we started doing this again, aside from wanting to just talk to each other and, and become rich and famous. But, um, right. I just Obviously paying <laughs> off. Yeah. One of those things is happening. Um, yeah, I just think we are on a little bit of a different wavelength than your average audience member, but that doesn't mean that the average audience isn't interested in hearing what we have to say because they're not going to figure it out for themselves. Sure. So that's what we're here for. Brilliant. To tell them that they were wrong about how they felt about the movie. <laughs> yes. Well, that's not even it. Like, But do you ever like have a conversation or listen to a podcast or read a review or whatever and, and sort of go, oh, yeah, like that articulates what I was feeling. Sure, yes. Or that, you know, like, and I think that's sort of the important thing. Or that's not, you know, that's the exact opposite. But I understand now what that perspective is. Then I think that's, there's value in that. Yeah, it's like an appreciation. It's like helping you appreciate a fine wine. For example. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's actually a really good point. Like, I've told people... A lot when I'm talking to them about wine, I'm like, look, there's all this shit about wine that's that's interesting, and it can enhance your experience with it. But you don't have to know it. You can you can just tell me whether or not you like it and whether or not it tastes good to you. But knowing where it comes from, knowing the you know the what the weather was like that year, knowing when the grapes were harvested, who the winemaker is, how long it was aged, and what it was aged in, all that stuff makes a difference and is interesting and can help you enjoy the experience more. So it, it's actually a really good comparison. I I do think you brought up Marvel. I do think that's an interesting idea. It's like, because I, I, I think I like the movies more than you guys do. I actually really liked Endgame and, but I came out of it, but you know, like my feeling is this, it's like, it, it is kind of like what you're saying about like, like a wine. Like, I mean, Endgame to me was, you know, something I, it was like a, something I grabbed at a party you know, off of not knowing what it is and having any, you know, just, it was just what it was on offer at the time. And I don't have a lot of, I, I, I rue and have a lot of resentment for what Marvel, what the popularization of Marvel and has done to film in general, but I enjoyed, you know, the, the glass of it that I had at the time. And it's like, how do you analyze that? Like I resent, I resent where we are with movies. I think we need to point out, it's helpful for us to say to people like the fact that these movies are getting made and are so popular is, is a, is an issue and is, is leading to us not getting the kind of films we want to see. But you know, it within the, the world of serialized uh, and, and sequelized movies and, and franchises, this is not a bad, a bad film. It's like they, within that world, they did a good job and I appreciated it and I thought it was fun. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. All right. <laughs> I can't believe I got... I, I was like, that joke's going to be so good, but I just, <laughs> Horizon vertical. Yeah, that yeah was, that's always a... Yeah. Always a horizontal vertical. You messed it up again. Yeah. Well, no, horizontal. I horizon, think a horizon, yeah. and then just... That's why I should have got it right, but then right. vertical. Oh, I was going to... Um, I was going to suggest maybe, since it's out, Oh, maybe it's not playing everywhere, but uh, another one that was on Chapin's original most anticipated of the year, Gemini Man, but that's 
That's got a 33. Oh, is it getting bad reviews? 33 on Metacritic. Oof. What was the one you sent the other day? Huh? That you were like, maybe not. That, that, um, oh, Lucy in the Sky, yeah. Oh, yeah, that was another one on your list. <laughs> oh, Jesus. 35, man. See, we, the, don't know how, we don't know how to pick them early, I, I mean, guess. I just want, why can't Ang Lee, that, like, why can't he make a great movie? He should, I mean, With Will a, Smith, right. Yeah. I don't know. All right, well, let me wrap this shit up. All right. Do it. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. Thank you for joining us. As always, please send us your emails, feedback at getyourfilmfixpodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. We addressed some of them today. Hopefully you found that interesting. We'd love to hear from you. Tell us what you think. If you disagree with us about Hustlers or Ad Astra, we'd love to hear from you. You're not wrong. We're just sharing our opinion. Um, (laughs) So let us know what you think. And, uh, yeah, maybe we'll be back soon with a uh, Scorsese retrospective or another film. But uh, until then, thank you for listening. I'm staying. I'm finishing my coffee. Enjoying my coffee.